It's great to be back with you. I'm Rabbi Ken Brodkin, and this is the Jewish Growth Podcast. I wanted to share that I felt some euphoria this week seeing my sukkah go up. My family, as you know, has been through a huge move, and here we are after Yom Kippur, erecting a brand new sukkah that we will enjoy in our new home. Now, one of the first things that I did in planning my move to the East Coast was selling our old sukkah back in Portland. And at that point, the idea of getting into a new home and having a sukkah seemed very distant. And now that we're here after a successful Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, it just feels like a moment to celebrate this small structure. Now, speaking of euphoria, it's hard to imagine a more euphoric moment in Jewish history than the return of the captives from Bavel to Yerushalayim in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah preceding the Bayez Shani, the Second Temple. Who amongst those former captives could have imagined that they themselves would witness the prophetic words of Yeshayahu and Yirmiyahu come to fruition as Jews returned to Eretz Yisrael, the land of Israel? Now, soon after Jews began to return, the people began to look into the Torah to understand the word of Hashem. As Nehemiah teaches us, the heads of the households, the Kohanim, Levium, came together with Ezra the scribe to understand what was written in the Torah. And they found it written in the Torah, that God commanded Moshe, that the Jewish people are to dwell in Sukkos during the seventh month. A voice was heralded through the cities, including Jerusalem, telling people to go out to the mountain to bring back branches of olive trees, myrtles, date pines, to make Sukkot. As it says, Sukkos, the entire community of returners from captivity, made and dwelled in Sukkot, Sukkot. They dwelled there, for such had not been done since the days of Yehoshua ben Nun. And it was a great Simcha. Why does the verse suggest that the Jewish people had not observed Sukkot all the way since the days of Joshua? Sukkot is a mitzvah in the Torah that the first temple prophets readily spoke about. It's one of the three major events of the Jewish year. The annual Nisachamayim, water libation Sukkot and Sukkot, was one of many joyous events that took place annually during the Bayes Rishon first temple, according to the, to the Gemara. Sukkot was a time that Jews from all over the land of Israel streamed to Jerusalem. The Ralbag, a great 13th century French rabbi and commentary on Tanakh, elaborates on the meaning of these verses, and he points to verses which not only describe dwelling in Sukkot there in, the, in Ezra and Nehemiah, but also reading from the Torah. He explains that this generation attained a new level of celebration. He says, the hearts of all who came were complete with God as they read each day in the Sefer of the Torah of Hashem. Now, the deeper meaning of this is that the people had not connected to Sukkot so deeply since the times of Joshua, a man who heard from the mouth of God that the Torah should not leave his mouth. True, the Jewish people celebrated Sukkot throughout the generations. But what the verse is really saying is that there had been nothing like this celebration for so long as the people reveled in the Torah, the word of Hashem. They literally read the Torah 
and fulfilled it and, and reveled and took such joy in it. Now, making that moment so joyous was actually not easy because as miraculous as the return of captives was, the reality is that only a small percentage of Jews initially left Bavel to go back to Israel. And that number may have been somewhere between 50,000 and 200,000 Jews, according to various views. And as the Jewish people began to rebuild the Bayachani, the second temple, it wasn't like the old days, at least at first. The verses in Ezra describe the response of elders who had witnessed the grandeur of the Bayas Rishon, the first temple. And so while some people shouted joyously as the new Mikdash got underway, the elders wept, remembering the good old days. And so you can imagine this great confusion. Some people celebrated Others literally weeping, seeing the construction of the new and more modest base of Mikdash. In fact, the Gemara in Yoma 21b notes that there were five miracles that regularly took place in the Bias Rishon that were missing from the Second Temple. And in this light, the celebration of Sukkot at the return of captivity from Babylonia to Jerusalem was actually a relatively modest affair. And yet, it was likened to the type of celebration that took place in the presence of the entire nation in the days of Yehoshua ben Nun. And just like in those days of Joshua, there was a, a newness. So too here, as the Jews came back to Jerusalem, there was a, a great novelty, a newness to everything they were doing. And the relatively modest event as the Second Temple got underway was, at least in some regards, on par with what had happened so long ago. Indeed, there's no question that events which appear modest can really have an outsized imprint. In fact, the Chag of Sukkot itself had an indelible mark not only on our people, but on the broader society as well. In the fall of 1621, the pilgrims in Plymouth celebrated their survival after a harrowing first winter. Gathering in their first crop as well as a healthy hunt of birds, the pilgrims celebrated for three days along with their Indian neighbors with whom they initially enjoyed peace. According to the Plymouth Rock Foundation, this harvest festival may have been based on a tradition rooted in the Feast of Tabernacles or Sukkot. The Puritans were deeply religious people influenced by the Bible. And so the Plymouth Rock Foundation writes, quote, Nothing was secular to the pilgrims, and so this plausible biblical origin for the Harvest Festival in the fall of that year would have been sacred to them, end quote. Just think about the pilgrims after surviving that first year. More than half of their number died in that bitter winter. The future was precarious, and yet they celebrated the survival of those who remained And that tiny group of people had an outsized impact. The tens of survivors of that first year were the start of the first permanent settlement or community in what would become the United States. In 2002, it was estimated that were approximately 35 million descendants of Mayflower passengers in the United States. And Sukkot, too, at times seemingly a minor world event, will lead to great things. In the Haftarah that's read on the first day of Sukkot, we read about how in a future time many nations will stream to Jerusalem to celebrate Sukkot. The verse says in Zechariah, 
It will happen that all those who will be left in the nations that will come upon Jerusalem, they will send every year to prostrate themselves before the king, Hashem, master of legions, to celebrate the Chag of Sukkot. For today, though, we have not reached that pinnacle of international celebration of Sukkot from all nations. I remember standing in my driveway last year as my kids finished putting up their sukkah, and a non-Jewish neighbor asked, well, what's this all about? And I said, well, you know, there's this biblical holiday. It's called the Festival of Booths. And he nodded. At Home Depot, they don't even seem to know that we're just a couple days away from Sukkot. The rabbis, too, echo the message that today's sukkah is not what it once was. The Gemara teaches us that a person who has not seen this, the Simchas Beis HaShoeva of the Beis HaMikdash, the celebration of the water libation in the, in the temple, has never seen joy. And so, in a sense, we can revel in the memory of earlier times. And yet, regardless of that, we also realize that even if our personal sukkahs is modest, we never lose sight of the bigness and the greatness of what we do today. While the elders wept in the memory of the first temple, in reality, the sukkahs of Ezra and Nehemiah was as great as anything since the days of Joshua. Why? The Rabag notes the Jewish people were completely immersed in the Chag, Likro Besefer Torah Salakim, as they read the Book of God. Today, too, we enter our small sukkahs and we revel in our community, our davening, our celebrations. Our Sukkot may seem minor, but yet they are really great in stature. One of my neighbors, new congregants, was telling me this year that he and his wife are building a sukkah for the very first time. And looking at my own family's sukkah, we'll enjoy our first Chag together on the East Coast, enjoy a number of new guests. I recall my mother-in-law telling me the impact of being invited to the sukkah of a neighbor of hers many, many years ago, and she's still not forgotten that impact. And so wherever you are, don't underestimate the impact of your small sukkah, your Chag. Great movements really do grow from a ripe kernel, a small ripe kernel. If we take the word of God and we rejoice in the Torah, we are at the start of something great because as Zechariah taught us, we are leading the world to a time when all the nations will bow before Hashem to celebrate the Chag of Sukkot. Thanks for being with me. I'm Ken Brodkin and this is the Jewish Growth Podcast. <laughs>